great to look at some sunshine this afternoon. It's been a while, so we're glad uh, we have sunshine on board with us today. Well, we were talking an awful lot with about the conviction of Jennifer Crumley on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, of course, that was in connection to the Oxford High School shooting. Uh, but there are so many larger questions that loom uh, surrounding this case. We're going to be talking a lot about that today. Uh, what does this mean for parents around the country? Will you now be held responsible for a violent act that your child, your teenager may commit? How much responsibility do you have on that? It's also put the focus on something called good parenting and bad parenting. It's put it front and center. And I know we all have our own opinions on what a good parent is and what a bad parent is. And what I think might be a good parent is one thing. What you might think is a good parent is another. Is this all now, uh, did this all come under scrutiny to the point where we're not sure anymore? We've talked a lot about or around this case, the, the, the concept of reasonable, being reason, a reasonable person would have done this or done that. But I think there are variances in that as well. So what you may see as normal behavior in your teenager, it might mean something entirely different to another parent. And again, that term reasonable has been thrown around a lot in this case. Uh, did the parents take reasonable care? Some thought the Crumleys uh, were not reasonable, not even a little bit, especially when they bought their son a weapon. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that today here on the show, on the Focus Show. Um, we've got a couple of attorneys in, of course, to talk about the legal ramifications of this case, the larger questions that loom. Also, what's ahead for James Crumley's uh, trial, which is coming up in March Will there be an appeal on this case? Some people say that there will be an appeal on this case. And we're going to look at some of those questions. We'll also be talking to a psychologist later in the show. A little bit about some of those bigger questions we talked about a moment ago about good parenting, bad parenting, and how you can uh, look at your own way of parenting and what you may want to do, want to change, how maybe you need to reach your teenager. All of us who've raised kids know how difficult teenage years can be for some kids. Other kids sail through it without any problems, but some kids really do have problems with um, their teen years. How do you reach those kids? How do you stay in touch with those kids? How do you remain relevant with those kids when you're the parent? You apparently can't do anything right uh, for them. So we'll be talking more about that ahead. But there are other uh, stories of interest. Let's let's do a little bit, something a little lighter here. I want to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. And for that, we have to bring in our producer, Dave Reeker. Hi, Dave. How are you, Marie? Hey, good. I know this is your topic, man, the Super Bowl, right? And yeah. <laughs> And Super Bowl betting. And, of course, we want to bring in Danielle Mason as well. She's got a lot to say about, I'm sure, the Super Bowl, but. What this really took me aback, 68 million American adults, that's one in four, plan to bet on this year's Super Bowl. That would set a record by a wide margin. And this is uh, according to the Gaming Industries National Trade Association. Dave, uh, are you surprised by that number? No, not at all. I think that, uh, listen, watching the game is fun. Gambling on the game makes it just more fun. 
I think that uh, I think that that number will keep on growing with the popularity of online gaming, with the mm-hmm. the different prop bets that you can bet on. Um, it's uh, the Super Bowl is like uh, it's like the biggest one. I mean, that's that's it, it's amazing. You can bet on everything. I mean, coin toss, uh, what color the Gatorade's going to be when they dump it on the coach, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Taylor Swift. Oh. Type sure. prop bets, For you sure. know. So that's what, because I was going to say, you you confused me at prop bet. Yeah. Because I'm not a gambler. I'm not right. a better. Right. Um, whenever we would have office pools, uh, I'm I'm like, you know what? I'll give you, listen, I'll just give you two bucks. I just, because right. I, I didn't know the first thing about um, any of it. So what is a prop yeah, bet? So the prop bets are like the non-part, non-game type bets. Like, you know, you, you, you okay. have your, like your, you know, your... The spread and the the money line and uh, other stuff, and then you get prop bets like like those weird type things. I remember a couple years back when they had the um, they first uh, had female referees that were yeah. part of it, and then so was the female was she going to wear her hair in a ponytail or was she going to have her hair up in the in the hat? You you could bet on that. I mean, it but- was I mean just just. Just wild, uh, different uh, prop bets. All right, so how, imagine. how do you keep track of all that, though? I mean, like, would you make multiple, you would obviously make yeah, multiple yeah. bets. Sure, yeah, yeah, you make multiple bets. Uh, there's multiple different, uh, there's parlays and different things to put together. Just, there's, there's, there's any number of things that you can uh, bet. Now, there are rules. Sometimes when you're putting together like a parlay, which is a series of bets uh-huh. in one bet, some don't go along with others. So they and they would let you know that if you tried to do that. But you can there, there's there's ways to make uh to make, you know, five dollars on a on a on a bunch of different legs of a of a bet can win you, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, you know, I heard this story this morning that uh, did the NFL, now I don't have my notes in front of me on this one, but did the NFL this morning come out and say that none of the players involved in the Super Bowl can do any betting while they're in Las Vegas? Oh, probably. Did, did you hear that? Uh, yeah, probably. Well, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would probably agree with that. Isn't yeah. that a little bit, I mean, pot calling the kettle? I mean, No, that just with, goes back to our conversation the other day with, um, with Neil Rubin. And the, and the and the power that the NFL has over everything. So yeah, but the NFL is so deeply involved now in in they online are. betting. All, so all sports, yeah, they they they're you know um the it's it's interesting that first of all let's let's I mean you're having a Super Bowl in Las Vegas, right? Would we have ever thought right. that we'd ever see that in our lifetime? Right, right. You know, uh, so start with that. But I mean, listen, teams have uh are, are, are every. Major sport is in bed now with the with the casinos and the online. I mean, you see, they wear it on their jerseys. You know, this is uh, you know MGM, this is FanDuel, this is whatever. So yeah, I would agree with you that maybe it is a little. But the NFL has strict rules about about gambling. You remember what happened to like Jamison Williams and some other players. So of yeah. course, mm-hmm. but I I just you know I don't understand with their deep commitment to online betting the NFL and they're going to get upset if someone's at a blackjack table I right. I just don't understand how that can be uh, that can be an issue Danielle are you betting on anything in the Super Bowl um, only if Dave will let me bet with him oh I don't have any of the apps but Dave does so I say if I win you get this cut. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, essentially, he just spends his money for me. 
Well, I like that idea. <laughs> Always get somebody else to spend yeah, the money for it. Yeah, would you like to, you. you want in on this? We'll make like a little corporation here. Yeah, a little, uh, yeah. A little ooh, cor- I'm perfect. telling you, I can, I'll give you a five. I'll give okay. you a 10. All right. I'll give you whatever. But I, I would okay. not have any idea what you're betting on or why. Well, I would, I would, of course, let you know what to look for. So it would just make the game, uh, you know, more exciting for you on Sunday. And then how much could I stand to win in the well, end? Well, it, it would depend on how, well, what kind of odds we could get, what we could put together. So. All right. So then maybe I could hit the shoe stale at, uh, at Nordstrom's uh, with the winnings, right? <laughs> you and Danielle <laughs> could go shopping afterwards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting how that's become such a big part of uh, more than I think ever. Wouldn't you say that, uh, Dave, that it's more than ever I mean, before listen, it's become? I mean, you know, gambling's always been around, right, but it's always right. been kind of the, 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 the taboo type thing. But now I think it's just it's out there and it's just, you know, and I, I, and I can't believe that there are still states that don't even allow online gambling right now, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, I know. It is crazy. Betters plan to wager an estimated $23.1 billion in the Super Bowl. And by the way, that's up $16 billion from last year. So it is everywhere. And uh, we're going to talk more about the Super Bowl, some of the Super Bowl foods uh, coming up a little bit later on in the show. You're listening to Focus here on WJR. With the conviction of Jennifer Crumley on four counts of involuntary manslaughter, now there are some bigger questions to tackle. The questions really now center on what impact this verdict will have on cases of parental responsibility. And it's always a great topic. We welcome in Todd Flood, managing partner of Flood Law. Todd, we're so glad you could uh, join us once again to talk about this really important case that clearly has started a lot of conversations in this country. For sure. Thanks for having me. So, Todd, some experts have said that this case really will not open the door to other parental convictions. What are your thoughts on this? So I think that the case of a parent responsibility has been tried before um, and uh, on individual basis. So, for example, where a parent is left the gun unsecured mm-hmm. um, in the uh, house with a minor uh, or you know, a parent given a car to one of their kids that uh, was not uh, not able to drive, didn't have the, the license to drive, but told them to drive anyway. Uh, the parent was held accountable. It's the reasonable foreseeable acts that can happen down the road, right? So I don't think it I think the precedence has already been there. I think Karen McDonald did the right thing in, in, in the sense of she followed these facts and looked at the law, applied the facts to the law, and uh, that's why I believe the defendant was found guilty. Um, I mean, think about it. If you and I were sitting in that principal's office and we had this child that just drafted this picture of a gun we just bought him for Christmas, and blood everywhere. The thoughts don't stop. Someone's shot. You think a reasonable parent, just with ordinary care, that's the, the buzz term, ordinary care would make a phone call and say, we're calling in sick today, boss. we got to take our son to the hospital or to see if he's okay, right? We'd find out where the gun is. We'd tell the principal, we did buy him a gun for, uh, for Christmas, and it does look like this one. You know, so I just think this is, it's not extraordinary behavior. It's reasonable behavior as a mom and a dad. And yep. this defendant gave it all up. 
Yeah, but, uh, you know, you you make that case about the parents mentioning the gun while they were in that meeting. I, I think that they knew that they were probably, they probably should not have bought him that gun, right? So why would they admit to something like that while they were sitting there in front of the, the, the school official? Say time out. I need to talk to my son alone. <laughs> I want then to you find ask. Out where, yeah, yeah, then yeah. you ask, right? I mean, they knew. So I, I don't I think being a parent, you know, to the extent of just using honest, reasonable behaviors, it doesn't mean that kids aren't going to lie. It doesn't mean that parents aren't going to. I, I tell this all the time. Parents teach kids how to lie. We we don't as parents uh, disclose, you know, when we're have a financial issue or there's something upset, we we cover them from that but kids know kids hear it upstairs when mom and dad are going you know in a disgruntlement i i think and they then in turn also may do you know not tell the truth we have all had teenagers where they cover things up but this is common sense stuff Mm. i think marie the biggest issue in our country right now we have to first admit there's a problem there's a problem one with mental health right? We have to face that issue. This kid, this shooter, can anyone say with a straight face he wasn't spiraling out of control? He didn't have mental issues? It didn't take a rocket scientist. We're all, you know, we're not psychiatrists by trade, but we can all see it, right? There's some disturbances here. So we need to address that um, and those resources uh, because there's not, if you don't have money or you go to the ER, you're sitting in the ER forever, but we have to have something in place and we have to address that issue if you look at all the mass shootings that have taken place in the country we can spot usually one common denominator there is a mental disturbance going on with that particular defendant and the ugly acts that take place um i think we we treat them oftentimes remedial as opposed to being proactive so i think this case was fact-driven i think the fact that Karen McDonald looked at this and saw what was going on. Um, it, how many red lights or how many red sirens have to, do we have to go through, you know, as a parent? This lady went through, this mother went through several. Are, okay, um, but uh, so you're saying that you think this type of conviction then will are putting parents maybe on notice that you have to be uh, aware of your child's mental health and obviously get them health help when they need it. But there have been cases like this time and time and time again, repeatedly. And two of them just came to my mind as you were talking. One of them was Sandy Hook. The the perpetrator there had clear mental health issues. And the mother, who, by the way, was very well educated and, uh, uh, you know, very well connected in her community, bought him several guns and brought him to the range to target shoot. By the way, she was his first victim on that day that he killed all those children at Sandy Hook. Um, Marjorie uh, Stoneman Douglas, that case, the, the the perpetrator there, I know that he was um, in a foster situation or an adoptive home. I can't remember exactly what was happening there, but clearly he had mental health issues. Other students in the school said he had mental health issues. And nothing was done there. The parents there weren't tried, or the foster parents, or the system that they were not tried there. So, is this really going to make any difference at all? 
so you're asking a bigger question of whether or not we live live in a duplicitous society where right. it, you know, one prosecutor is uh, prosecuting the case and another prosecutor is not prosecuting right. the case. You know, individual uh, prosecutors are going to make decisions um, all the time on whether or not, you know, philosophically they believe in one way or the other of trying this this uh, uh, case or charging this case. Um, you, you know, I, I can't answer what went into the calculus of why the prosecutor didn't go after or didn't look into or de- do a deep dive uh, into some other uh, some of those cases. But I can tell you in Michigan, I, well, let's just go with Virginia. Uh, last year, uh, mother was charged because the six-year-old took a gun in and shot right. the teacher and killed right. the teacher, but uh, wounded the teacher. And I think the mob got two years in prison. So, I, you know, Gross negligence, if you act in a gross negligent way, can you possibly think that it's unreasonable for something bad to happen if you took a gun and gave it to someone that was mentally disturbed or in a dark place? I think that would be foolish, right? You, you, it's more than reasonable to believe something bad would happen. And that's the standard. Is it foreseeable? So. Ask yourself a question. Do you have a duty as a parent? The law says, yes, you do. You have a duty. Now, what is your duty? You know what, Todd? We are running out of time. We're going to have to figure out what is that duty on our own. Thank you so much again for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. Todd Flood, Managing Partner at Flood Law. We'll continue here on Focus. Stay with us. A little bluegrass here in the noon hour. Glad you're back with us here on The Focus Show. The Michigan Republican Party, to put it mildly, is in shambles, but there is one former governor who's rallying the faithful in an effort to put Republicans back in the seat of the state house. We welcome into Focus today Rick Snyder, CEO of Sensi, calling us. Hi, uh, former Governor Snyder. Do I call you former? Do I call you Governor Snyder or do I call you Mr. Snyder? Marie, you just call me Rick. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, All that's right. fine. That's my but, name. I, hey, believe me, I've been called a lot of uh, things oh, that aren't near as nice as that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, you have battle scars to prove it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing to get some Republican bodies, some warm Republican bodies into the uh, Michigan State House. With And, and as we said, the, the party really is in shambles. I, I mean, we're not speaking out of school. We know that to be true. Um, it, so has this been a hard sell for you to go around trying to drum up some more support to support some of these uh, candidates that are coming in? I wouldn't say it's a hard sell. It's a challenging discussion. Um, people want to help. So when I meet with people to talk about winning the House back for Republicans, which I think is really important, I usually start by saying, are things going to get better if you don't get involved or you get involved? And everyone knows it's important to you know participate in you know, having good uh, public officials. So they come around to that. And then the question is, is what would get you excited to do that? And the, the main thing is uh, to have a positive agenda, to stand for something rather than to stand against something. Because mm-hmm. you know my background, Marie, I'm the relentless positive action guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's needed now. Our 
things that people can believe in and support as opposed to saying they don't like something. And the good part is the Michigan House uh, Republican caucus has been working hard, and I think you'll see it over the next month or so, them rolling out a platform of positive things that can get Michiganders excited about our future. So you're assisting the Michigan House Republican Campaign Committee. You've already helped them raise more than $4 million. Uh, that was last year, $1 million more than uh, when it had a majority in the chamber. So it, that's been successful. But what are, pe- what are the exact concerns that people are expressing to you when you have this conversation with them? Well, it, it's a nasty business politics these days. And, you know, people getting yelled at, uh, again, it's happening on both ends of the political spectrum. Uh, but that's that doesn't work. Um, so a lot of it is they're they're wondering what is the path and are people willing to step up and follow that path. And so I'm hopefully being a catalyst by saying, hey, I'm willing to go back out there and mm-hmm. explain to people what are good things. Uh, if you think about it, we need to continue building a, a stronger Michigan. And we've been sliding backwards again. I was very proud during my time as governor. We grew the population. We were having, you know, young people migrate into the state. Now they're leaving again. Uh, So let's get back to some of those policies about making Michigan an exciting place. Let's bring back pure Michigan and make it strong again. Oh, yeah. There's a lot uh, to talk about in terms of that uh, pure Michigan campaign. In fact, coming up, we've got Justin Winslow joining us to talk about this uh, effort that's being put forth by the Michigan Restaurant Lodging Association uh, in collaboration, um, like an all-new industry um, collaborative uh, effort with Unite Hospitality and Tourism Advocacy in Michigan uh, to get that job done because it's so important to get it done. As I was reading um, up on your work that you were doing here, I, I thought about how people who run for the house are often younger uh, are often young candidates they've got big big dreams big aspirations um they really want to be a force of change within their community and within the state how disheartening is is it for them to not get the kind of financial backing that they need to make a run for office but really you're dashing their dreams of even anything bigger and better. Yeah, well, we, the good part is we are going to get them the financial support. As you said, the fundraising has been going well. Uh, people are participating. I think part of what can help those young people, and I appreciate you bringing it up. I want to encourage people to get out there and to run for office in this difficult environment. It's more giving them a sense of, hey, here's some educational points. Here's some uh, Here's some wisdom from old guys like me on how you can address these kind of things and take on these issues and keep a positive attitude. Because when you go out and campaign, it can be discouraging. I mean, you recall when I first started running, uh, people used to come up and say, do you know you could you're so low on the polls, you could be a negative number. And I always thanked them for that kind comment. (laughs) And uh, you just kept going. And uh if you just keep going and have confidence and you have good support from your family and friends and other political supporters, it gets you through those times and you can win. The number of people though, that I've heard say, I wouldn't run for public office right now. If you gave me a million dollars because (laughs) of what it, I mean, what happens to you, your personal life, your family, uh, the kind of uh, scrutiny that you're put under, you know, you better not have, uh, taking a pack of gum when you were seven years old at the corner store, you know, that your mom made your return and then you were grounded for a month. I mean, forget it. 
you can't, you, you, there's just nobody that wants to really run anymore because of this environment. Well, you do need a thicker skin, and that is something that's difficult. But that's one of the counseling points I give to people is you, know, you have to understand that people are going to make up stuff in many cases or have inaccurate stuff. And a lot of it is if there's something you believe in that's positive, that you really want to make people's lives better, uh, being a, in the public sector, being in the legislature or having a public role is one of the best ways to do that, and it's worth it. I mean, I tell people that. I'm proud of the service I had, and, you know, I took a lot of shots from people, but would I have changed it overall? No, because we got good things to happen for Michiganders. There are a lot of Michiganders better off or alive because of the programs we put in place. Why are you focusing just on the House? Why not some other races? Well, it's something that's doable. That's critically important. My heart is Michigan. You know that. Uh, And so the way I view it is there's, uh, I said, no presidential politics, no other races, no party politics. Let's just win the House back because that's a starting point to get Michigan back on a positive path, which we need to see happen. Yeah, but, you know, even though you don't want to deal with party politics, the sad story is that it is impacting your work and what you're trying to do. So you, you must have to deal with it at some level. Well, there are good people out there that are trying to work on topics. I mean, I, I was, uh, I have a good, strong relationship with Pete Hoekstra. He's a, a good person and he's getting involved. So I think there are positive signs going on and in terms of what could go on with the party. And I encourage him to keep plugging away. I'm, I'm going to stay plugging away on the Michigan house. Uh, but there are <laughs> other good people in other lanes doing their thing. And that's how you make good stuff happen is, We all do the right thing, and let's win together. All right, so we're giving you free advertising here on WJR. Talk about some of the uh, house seats that you have um, some real hope about or maybe like a particular candidate that you see as a shining star that uh, maybe a newcomer that's going to do good things in the future. Anybody you can pinpoint or any particular race? (laughs) Well, there are a lot of races. I I won't pick one at this point. As we get closer to the election, I'll be happy to talk about that. But there are a lot of good incumbent Republicans that we need to get reelected. And then there are good primaries going on. And I am excited about the candidate pool, um, that people are stepping up, even in the environment you mentioned. And you're, you're fairly accurate. It's a tough place to run. But good people are stepping up, and we need to make sure we're going to support them. Well, uh, former Governor Rick Snyder, Rick, thank you for joining us today. It's an interesting take that you're, or an interesting tack that you're taking here, just focusing in on one issue uh, that you think you can really have some impact on and trying to make a difference and trying to really have something good come out of this mess that is the Michigan Republican Party, that's for sure. Thank you so much for talking with us today. It's great to be with you, Marie. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon, and we'll be back here on WJR. The trial of Jennifer Crumley brought to light many legal questions about parental responsibilities. We talked earlier with Todd Flood about this uh, issue of parental responsibilities. A little later in the show, we'll have on uh, Jeffrey uh, Swartz, the professor from Cooley Law School, also to talk about it. So we've talked about all that. But this trial has also put a very bright light on a family's dysfunction. And joining us to talk a little bit more about that is Dr. Eric Herman, a psychologist with Children's Hospital of Michigan. Dr. Herman, thank you so much for spending some time with us here this afternoon. Glad to talk with you. Um, 
I'm sure there are parents who are asking themselves, could this have been me? Um, Maybe they've got a sullen teenager in the house or a non-communicative teenager in the house. Maybe they're really, really busy at work and maybe not spending as much time at home as they would like to. What what do you see as being the red flags in this case that other parents can learn from? Well, I certainly hope uh, parents are thinking that way. Maybe something good could come out of this tragedy. Um, parents just need to be involved, and whether it's uh, concerns about mental health or you know the security of firearms at home, they need to take these extra measures to make sure their kids are okay. Um, you know, red flags are uh, anything from spending way too much time alone, isolation, um, you know, irritability, anger issues. Uh, in this case, probably difficulty uh, getting along with others or trouble socially. The parents, if they feel something is wrong, they should always take that extra step. And what could the first step be for a parent who finds themselves in that situation? Uh, you know, just trying to talk to their child about what they see and see how far that goes. And if that's not uh, helpful enough, then uh, looking to someone like me, uh, taking them in for an evaluation to see if there's anything else going on. So do they do they start at the school maybe to ask for recommendations as to where to go for help? That could be one avenue. I, I would imagine some kids with, you know, serious trouble, the school is already Mm-hmm. Uh, contacted the parents or teachers have already uh, emailed the parents to let them know that they have concerns and the counselors at school are aware of uh, community resources uh, you know during the trial something stuck out to me uh, uh, it, uh, the prosecution had made uh, a point of showing how on Jennifer Crumley's uh, social media uh, platforms she had uh, she didn't really have, in the last few years, many pictures of her son. She had pictures of her horses and her garden, her house, but not of her son. Mm-hmm. And um, she ended up testifying to this as well. But I remember thinking when I saw that, I I don't know of a lot of 14-year-old boys who would voluntarily take a selfie with their mother and then have the mother posted on social media I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, you tell me, teenagers are complicated little human beings. Oh, yeah, they are complicated, but they are still your sons and daughters, and they're still little human beings, and they can be rough around the edges, but we're talking about something much deeper. And um, if you're very concerned, if you think there's something not right, it's just more than just regular teenager stuff, that's when you have to take some action. Um, guns are a part of the fabric of a lot of families. I know families who um, have a, uh, guns in their home. Uh, they're well secured and they're used uh, only for target practice. Um, some families, of course, hunt and then also keep their guns locked up. Um, and they don't really have any issues like this. So what do you tell those families who think, you know, this could, you know, I might get in trouble for this. I, this could lead to trouble for me. I mean, how do you balance that? Well, I mean, the, the issue is being responsible. So if uh, you're a responsible gun owner and you, and you have your guns locked up and 
uh, kids should probably not be able to get to those weapons without um, parental uh, knowledge and supervision. So as long as you're doing that, I think you're fine. In in uh, I would assume that you heard, read, or saw some of this trial yourself. What do you think? Um, where do you think uh, the shooters? issues stem from because he seemed to have had problems from the time he was rather young well a lot of um more serious psychiatric problem is genetic and it's biologic it's not always just within a you know because of your family um and you know families either can help things be better or they can make things worse and in this case maybe it was a bit neglectful by not getting him help that was needed and when you have a teenager who won't go to therapy, what do you, how do you, how do you make them go? How do you make them do it? Well, it's very difficult. That's why if there's problems even earlier than that, it's better to get started when they're little and they're a little bit more uh, compliant or workable. As they get a little older, it gets tougher. But there are youth assistant programs. There's different ways. And we just can't say that, you know, it's hard to talk to them, so we should do nothing because in, in, in the worst-case scenarios, this is the kind of thing that can happen. So um, I've heard other therapists speak about this, that the the time to talk to your teacher, uh, teenager is when they're seven, that when you, you, you know, when they're little, in other words, that you start talking and making that open door of communication and you keep that open so that when they become a sullen 14-year-old, you know that at least they will talk to you. Is that correct? Well, you build that, yeah, yeah. You're building that loving relationship from day one, from the moment they're born, that they will trust you, and that during hard times they will still trust you, even if they're difficult to talk to. The relationship is everything. What can people expect when they go to therapy? I think there's, for some people, it's still mysterious, it's unknown, and they're fearful of it. So what can people expect when they need, when they get some maybe family therapy or send their child to therapy? Yeah, I think you're right. If people come with all these other ideas in their minds and oftentimes they don't want to know if there is a problem. So they're not necessarily interested either to go or if they go, they're very uh, guarded about it. But usually once they come in and they find out, you know, therapists, all they want to do is help and you start trying to clarify what's really going on and then also seeing that things can get better then uh, people change their minds pretty quickly once they come in. So wrapping up here therapy is not an overnight cure. It's not like taking a pill and it's all better. You have to be prepared to invest some time in it and give it some time right? Well that's what we're talking about it's relationships so the the child or in this case or the family has to do develop a trusting relationship with the therapist and over time things can uh can change yes and so the effort has to be made dr eric herman a psychologist at children's hospital of michigan thank you for joining us today having some advice here for parents who might be concerned about their teenagers and especially if you have one that's not reachable thank you uh dr herman we appreciate your time today oh you're welcome And it is certainly one of the bigger questions that as parents we always face. Am I doing enough for my child? Do I have an open communication line with my child? But as we've been told here by Dr. Herman, that 
help is available. Sometimes you just need to start with the people who are around you and ask the right questions. We'll continue here on Focus on WJR. And welcome back to Focus on a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Lots of sunshine out there. Haven't seen that in a long time. A little earlier we were talking about, listen, it's it's Wednesday, so things are going to go here on out, talking a lot about the Super Bowl. What are your plans for the Super Bowl Sunday? What will you be doing? Of course, most of us will be wishing the Lions were in it. Well, there's always next year for that. But uh, lots of preparations going on. A lot of grocery stores are going to be packed here in the next couple of days, people preparing. Uh, Dave Rieger and I and Danielle talked a little bit about uh, Super Bowl betting. Uh, Betters plan to wager $23 billion this year in the Super Bowl. And that's up $16 billion from last year. And uh, Dave Rieger had the, uh, you know, explain to me what something called prop bets are. Dave, you handed me a sheet here about all the prop bets. I'm impressed. I didn't know you could possibly wager on this many things. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty good. There's a lot of good stuff to uh, to make a bet to make a bet on, and you can combine them. And, and yeah, you can do a lot of things. Color of the Gatorade bat. Yeah, so that that that'll be the color of the when they dump. They usually dump the Gatorade on the, the winning head coach, and they love to predict what color it would be. Travis Kelsey to have eleven more, eleven or more receptions. That's uh, that's a that's a good one. He, they they throw at him a lot, so that's okay. A, that's a so good one. as as we're talking about Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey, yeah. we can't not talk about Taylor Swift. And mm-hmm. for that discussion, we need to bring in our uh, Taylor Swift bureau chief, that known as Danielle Mason. <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, I want to ask this question: mm-hmm. uh, we, we actually one of the prop bets, Dave, should be. How many times will the camera cut to Taylor Swift? Oh, I'm sure that you can find that somewhere. Well, first we got to find out if she's going to be there. Well, but Danielle, uh, being her biggest fan, you probably have seen the calculations. She's in Japan. She, I think she just opened a, couple, a day ago. I can't, you know, the, with the time, I can't figure out what, what um, I don't know what, um, you know, the, the time difference is. You know what, I do, I do want to break in really quickly here. Um, a federal appeals court has uh, denied uh, President Trump's immunity claims. We're going to get a little more info on that for you, but we want to bring you up to date on uh, some of you that have been following this uh, federal appeal court uh, decision. So he's been denied uh, the immunity claims, but we'll have more on that coming up. But Danielle, when we talk about her travel time, it's been all calculated, mm-hmm. and she should be able to get to the game on time. She should be, but would her people let her do that? That's a lot of time on a plane. That's a lot of traveling. If you want to be 100% for your shows, your fans are your main priority. Why would you spend all that time in the air and all that time traveling when you have to be on your game for the people who actually truly matter, the ones who have made you who you are? Yeah, but, you know, uh, but then think of all the publicity she could gain. She's got enough. She doesn't need it. She doesn't need any of that. If honestly, if I was one of the people on her team, I'd be like, you're not going. I'm sorry. So like you want to go, but no. Just some just some interesting things for you about Taylor Swift. You know that um, and Danielle knows her lucky number is 13. OK. All right. So uh, this Super Bowl is the 58th Super Bowl. When you add five and eight together, you get thirteen. Oh, the the wow. date the date of the Super Bowl is two eleven. Two plus eleven is 
13. Okay, so this starts to kind of... Uh, We're the, painting the, a picture. Yes, you, the, the, yeah, Chiefs, the Chiefs beat the Ravens in Baltimore, and the Niners beat the Lions in San Francisco. And the sum of the two differences that was uh, four points and nine points, and that equals 13. Well, this is, you know, so, get, yeah. There's a lot of things. The flight from Tokyo to Las Vegas? 13 hours. 13 hours. Yeah. Yes, the number of Kansas City Chief games Taylor Swift has attended, the Super Bowl will mark her 13. 13th. So, yeah. So, nah. there's a lot. Of, so, all this kind of stuff is really weird if you're into this numerology stuff with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and the, the number 13. She needs to stay home. I think now it's a bad omen. There's too many things lining up. Stay where you are. Oh, I'm really surprised to hear you say that, Danielle. I'm I just really want her surprised. safe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just really I'm surprised by that. But, uh, you know... I, Dave, maybe you could talk more about this. That I think, I think football fans have like had enough of this. Is that right? Oh uh, yeah. Like yeah. It, before it even started, we had enough of it. To be honest with you. <laughs> so, so enough of not enough of Taylor. Yeah, Trump. exactly. All right, let's talk about food for for the Super Bowl. What do you think is the number one uh, food uh, Super Bowl food? I know you guys will get this. Wings. I, I I think it's wings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, apparently. In, in Michigan, it's pizza. Oh, I could see that. It's that it dominates the Super Bowl searches, uh, with like one hundred forty six thousand, almost one hundred forty seven thousand searches. Chili is in the second spot. Really? Yeah, chili. I know. I thought it, that was interesting. This is a specific list to Michigan. Uh, yes. Okay. This was done by Jeff Bett. They analyzed seventy five popular Super Bowl uh, okay. party foods, and they they used like searches, uh, internet searches. So. And Danielle, I know you're going to love this because I know we've talked about mm-hmm. this before. Deviled eggs Ooh. makes an appearance in the top three. So I we, think it should always be. We in were the top just three. talking about that because Food and Wine put out a list, and I didn't even know what this was. Um, what did I tell you, Danielle? This was oh shakshuka deviled shakshuka eggs. deviled eggs. Okay, I I thought I knew what this was. What, what apparently is it? it is a Shuck, it's a tomato it's a tomato based sauce so mm-hmm. instead of poaching the eggs you, oh, you this this in. this garlicky this this spicy tomato jam flavored <laughs> thing it it, it looks disgusting no it, no 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 shakshuka is a wonderful meal number one and so switching it around and doing the opposite having the egg be the main focus and then the 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 tomato base right. to garnish it is going to be bomb. Who's eating this at a Fire. Super Bowl party? I'm no, going nobody. to. It's, it's too, yeah, I was going to say, this is a, this sounds a little a raise your pinky sort of eating. Mm-hmm. And Thank I don't you think, very much. I yep. don't think that's what we do at a Super Bowl party, right? Give me some greasy wings and, and we're all set, right? right. So um, Sliders. Uh, yeah, you know, sliders uh, is a good one. Yeah. I've got a great recipe for sliders, by the way. Uh, easy sliders to bring to your to your Ribs. Game. Guacamole Ooh. is another one that's on the list. Fifth place. What was high on this list also was the spinach artichoke dip, which everybody seems to love. I love. Do you like it? I, I love do it. actually like spinach artichoke dip. Yeah, dip, I, yeah. I but I you may it. be surprised that I do like it, but I do. Chicken wings. Uh, in I thought it was kind of weird. They're in seventh place. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the sloppy joes, and then I was really thrilled to see this bruschetta is on the list. Can you imagine that? Mm. Uh, in, in fact, on this list, they call it an Italian antipasto. It's not. It is a toasted piece of bread 
with um, chopped tomatoes and garlic and basil on it. It's really delicious. But I, I again, that seemed like a little bit of a raise your pinky sort of food. Like on I this one, they had like uh, fondue. Like who's who's doing oh, that? Who's doing fondue? Classic Honestly? Swiss cheese fondue. And you guys keep saying, who's doing that? I would be doing that. If I were to have a party, I wouldn't have the normal stuff. I'd have all these special all things. All the fancy stuff, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, listen, I, I, I thought it was amazing that there were deviled eggs on, on the list. I mean, what what can I say? But, Danielle, I know you're a big fan of deviled eggs, and mm-hmm. I know that, uh, th- that that's, you know, obviously going to be on your uh, Super Bowl Super Bowl list. And, you know, uh, uh, some more data here. This I know this is not going to come as a surprise to our Dave, but Kansas City Chiefs have had the largest percentage of increase in its followers this season. They gained an additional Obviously. one. They gained an additional one point seven five million, one and three quarter million followers across their socials. And by the way, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Detroit Lions have had the second and third largest percentage increase of followers, respectively. So that's pretty that's pretty good for the Lions. We're really thrilled for them, that's for sure. Well, we'll continue here on WJR. When we come back, we'll talk with Jeffrey Swartz, a professor at Cooley Law School. Again, going back to the topic of the Crumleys and parental responsibility. We'll continue here on WJR. When I think of November 30th, I think of four legs of failure. I think of the shooter, the parents, the school, and our community. Think about this for a second. I think of four legs of failure. Okay. The shooter's being held accountable by the system. The parents, leg number two, is being held accountable by the system. Our community, you know, um, I feel like 42 Strong, the peer, peer mentoring program we started, is addressing the community issue. How could this kid walk through those hallways every day and not have a bud? Huh. Not have a mentor, right? So three out of the four legs are getting addressed. What's the only leg left? The school. But the system is not allowing us to hold the school accountable. That is Buck Meyer. He is the father of one of the victims in the Oxford school shooting, Tate Meyer. Our hearts go out to the parents and families of all of those victims in the Oxford school shooting. Um, Buck Meyer this morning talking with Tom and Kevin on All Talk. This conviction of Jennifer Crumley on the all four counts of involuntary manslaughter, as we've been talking about all show long, have opened up so many more questions about the greater the greater uh, aspect of this story being what is a parent's responsibility? What's reasonable responsibility? We hear a lot about re- reasonable, foreseeable act, ordinary care, all these terms that are um, associated now with this case. We thought we'd bring in Jeffrey Swartz, a professor at Cooley Law School, to talk a little bit about this and so much more. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome to Focus here on WJR. We're glad you could join us. I want to just depart. Thank you, I just want to depart for one second on on the uh, question that I've been meaning to ask one of our experts. So you get the question: How much do you think? Okay. Pub- how much do you think publicity played a role in this case? Well, I think publicity played a, a major role. Um, there was no hiding the use of publicity to a certain extent until there was a gag order by the prosecution um, and by the sheriff initially in the way that they arrested the Crumblies and the claims that they made they were trying to abscond. 
Um, the fact that we had four children and we had parents who were very upset and were very public about their anger, uh, all of those things in, in kind of in, in, they kind of infect uh, the body of our politic and the people who come in uh, to be jurors. So they walk in with a perception of what they're wa- of what's going to be happening when they walk into that courtroom, and whether they want to or don't want to be a jury, also reflects a juror reflects upon the answers that they give. So yeah, they were walking into, and then they see cameras, and they mm. walk into all of that, and it all it just infects everything about the system. And so, what do you? How do you think this bodes for James Crumley, whose trial's coming up in just a couple of weeks? That's an interesting question because the change of venue that he will ask for will require that the judge, Judge Matthews, at least attempt to try to get a jury. And if she cannot get a jury of fair and impartial jurors, people who will not shake what they know about the case, will not shake the idea that um, he's the husband and she was the wife, meaning Jennifer, and so therefore they're both to blame for all of this, if you can't shake that type of attitude out of these jurors, she may not have a choice but to move this case to somewhere else in the state. And if you're going to stay in the Lower Peninsula, you got two places to go, Grand Rapids and Traverse City. Oh, really? And that's about it. Yeah, that's yeah. about where you got to go. You can't go to Detroit. You can't stay anywhere within the broadcast area, in my mind, of any of the television or radio stations within uh, the Tri-County area. And when you talk about can the jurors shake that, I mean, all of that information is gleaned just through very brief interviews, if you will, or very few questions that are asked uh, during jury selection that they they only have a couple questions or three questions to ask both the prosecution and the defense to choose a juror. Um, That is a that's that's a lot to figure out if somebody can really be able to do that it is limiting voir dire or jury selection questions uh to just a few without allowing the lawyers to engage fully with the jurors is a problem in the state of florida for example uh when i was a judge i would allow kind of a a free reign to a degree until they got too far afield uh the idea is for you to find out about the jurors not have them become your friend and, and be their friend. Uh, so it, it, you're, you're trying to find out about their ability to be a juror. They have to do this in light of a motion for change of venue. That's going to have to be far more extensive, dear. And if there is not, how do you know that you're getting the juror that it appears that they are? So you're right. I don't think they're going to be able to do that. Uh, but the ultimate question that I always tell everybody is, hey, knowing everything you know and knowing what happened in the other case, have you, and knowing you might have an opinion on the guilt or guilty or not guilty status of a defendant, can you set all of that aside and reach a verdict solely on the evidence before you? Right. Some people are honest and say no. Some people hide that answer and say yes. You know, you just don't know unless you explore further. Yep, and we talked about that yesterday on the air about how judges will tell people you have to put that aside to be on this jury and you just have to right. base your decision only on what you hear in this courtroom, period. So we want to ask uh, you, we don't have a lot of time, sadly, for this interview, and I know you're such a great guest, but I, uh, we wanted to ask this. Will this have an impact on other 
cases where parents could be convicted of similar crimes. Will it really open the door? Some experts are saying no, that this was a case that was so egregious that uh, it it really won't uh, likely never happen again. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, I, I think the idea that it's so egregious was was a thought process. It was brought forth by the prosecution, and they did a really good job of making people angry over some of the things that they heard. Some of the things they heard should have never been entered into evidence anyway, and I think they're going to be the basis of the appeal. But in this particular instance, I believe that this becomes a persuasive uh, precedent, for lack of a better way to put it. It won't be a precedent until a court of appeals approves it. But at this point, anybody who's standing up on a soapbox against guns and against people who own guns when they have children in their home, whatever it may be, will take this and try to run with this and saying they did it in Michigan. We have involuntary manslaughter. Let's run with it and go after them. And so it will become maybe a cause celeb. It may be the flavor of the day in a lot of places. That's the real fear. And the fact that they're now going to start really looking at parents and, and, and basically going back and dissecting a child's whole life uh, where, you know, teenagers, by the way, they're secretive anyway. Try to get yeah. something out of them if you have any. Okay, the bottom line is that, it, that that's going to be very difficult. You know, finding things about the child that you should have known. And the question is, somebody asks, how could you have known? Right. And, you know, that's a big problem. Jeffrey Swartz, professor at Cooley Law School, always informative. Thank you so much for joining us today on WJR. We're certainly going to have you back to discuss this further as this case is really not over. We'll continue here on WJR. Hospitality and tourism responsible for almost 10% of all employment in Michigan. In 2019, 124 million people visited Michigan creating $26 billion in tourism revenue. Now the hospitality and tourism groups in Michigan are joining forces to make sure that the industry continues to recover from the devastating effects of the pandemic, but also continues healthy growth. To get more on this, we go to Justin Winslow, President and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Hi, Justin. We love talking to you about tourism. Marie, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. So tell us about this new alliance between the hospitality and tourism sectors in Michigan. Well, we are 12 groups and growing. I think there's a lot of interest. The more that uh, word of the alliance gets out, uh, standing together, uh, hopefully breaking down silos and collaborating on a lot of issues long term. But the issue that's bringing us together and unifying us in the short term is Pure Michigan funding, what its future is going to be, and how we can help shape it in a positive way. So we all, okay, so we gave just a little uh, thumbnail sketch there of the kind of impact tourism has on the state. And um, it's just so important that we have a healthy tourism industry in Michigan. That goes without saying. But as I thought about this, I realized, you know, the automotive industry, even the agriculture industry, there's a product. There's something that you see. But with... um, And so you can see why your investment, your dollar investment is so important in those industries. But it's not like that for tourism because there's there's not a product. There's not something that I can see. So that makes it very difficult to uh, set up to to set about to get the funding that you need. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's less obvious and tangible in front of you uh, unless you're on a vacation and seen it before you. But this 
this is why it's, I think, a little easier to take this industry for granted and just assume that the massive economic input that it delivers for the state of Michigan and to about a half a million employees can just always happen without without anything needing to happen to, to, to right. push that forward and grow it. And that just hasn't been the case. All right. So you're trying to uh, make sure and ensure that Pure Michigan gets the kind of funding that it that it needs. Where are you going to start? Well, I think this is a big start today. I, I you know, we, we, we've seen a retraction in the funding of this campaign mm-hmm. and, and a campaign that, listen, I work with a lot of my colleagues in other states around the country. They are all jealous of the Pure Michigan campaign. It is the gold standard it is the best. They wish they had campaigns this good. And it's shocking to them to see that we've gone backwards in funding, uh, that we're one of the lowest funded states, certainly in our region uh, this year at only $15 million. And that's that's leaving money on the table for Michigan. To give you a sense, right now we're producing $3.2 billion in state and local tax revenue from this industry. Uh, But there's clear data that suggests that over $11 is coming in in tax revenue for every dollar we invest. There's a a real chance to grow state tax revenue uh, to to fund a lot of things that we all need and want, right? Better schools, good roads, uh, public safety, all of those things if we're going to make the investment in this industry. So 11 to 1, that's that's the return on the investment in tax Pretty good ROI, right? I was just going to say, if we were talking about anything else, let's just say, uh, you know, shoes, you know, shoes, if we get into the shoe industry, that's going to, we'd be, we'd be all making shoes, I think. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, again, it's just this idea that it's important to, and I think probably what you're after here with your organization is that we, that you begin to bring that understanding to every Michigan resident and how important this is. So uh, how will all this help um, those who actually provide the hospitality to visitors or are the destinations for visitors? How do you think this is going to help? Because I know there's, uh, I'll, I'll ask you a follow-up here, but there are some, there are some hiccups in the system here. So how will this help uh, these industries, specifically the people who actually deliver the services? Yeah, they rely on it, right? We have an infrastructure uh, that has been built up for something that is is substantial. I think we're still a long way from the ceiling, but but there's a lot of jobs at stake. And Pure Michigan is is the consistent and reliable reminder to those across the country and really around the world, and, and at least in select markets, of why they should be coming here. They've got a lot of choices and options. Why should they be choosing Michigan? And we need to make that option clear and put it before people around the world because uh, there's a lot of responsibility a lot, a lot of responsibility we have at home to the people working in this in this in this industry and the job providers that are here doing it when we talk about the people who are working in the industry I, I hope you can I mean if you can't answer this it's okay I just wanted to ask you about this because um, I'm a longtime Michigan vacationer and traveler and been to every almost every corner of the state um, and just a big cheerleader for the state, that's for sure. But I keep hearing in the last few years, especially especially in the last four or five years, uh, the difficulty that um, hotels, restaurants, all kinds of places are having finding people to work in their facilities. And also in some of these areas, the workers you're bringing in to work in your, let's say, restaurant, they can't afford to live in the areas that they're working in because the costs are so high. Is the organization going to be working with those thorny issues? 
I think those are critical and something this association, Michigan Restaurant Lodging Association, is tackling. Where we could probably have a two-hour show tackling some of these issues. Yeah. But I, I, the short summary would be I think we have struggled in the wake of the pandemic to bring back some of those who were lost during the closure, who found jobs in other industries. Uh, we're trying to use some funding right now to grow a, a training institute, uh, the Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan, to recruit and bring back and, and provide a real opportunity for growth uh, through certification and opportunity long-term in this industry. We have to make that case uh, to the workforce to come back. Uh, but I will tell you that this industry is outpacing the economy overall in wage uh, inflation over the last few years. And that is that is a product of supply and demand right there. Uh, and uh, so you're seeing pretty big increases in wages in this industry to try to bring some of that uh, that workforce back. Give us some good news that's happening from the tourism industry, other than it's uh, February and and the Michigan tourism season's really going to gear up in a couple of months here. Well, and I know in some parts of the the state, certainly with skiing and all that, it's it's full speed ahead. But give me some good news that uh, we can talk about in tourism. I was going to say just the fact that we've had some snow on the ground in recent weeks has been uh, welcome news to our our winter tourism season and those with uh, ski resorts, but. Uh, we've seen Mackinac Island consistently be recognized as the premier travel destination uh, in the country uh, by numerous sources over the last couple of years. Traverse City continues to be a, an, a destination for more and more people uh, from outside of Michigan as well. And there are two dozen other gems that we could go into at some point here and talk about. There's a lot of positive things happening in this industry, but I think we need the Pure Michigan campaign to continue the kind of positive trend lines we've had. I'll be honest with you. It's a real head scratcher to me about um, on this one. I just don't understand why. Um, maybe because I understand the medium, you know, the advertising medium better than a lot of other people do. But when you when you've got something that's literally magic and it's bringing people to your door, uh, that would be the time that you would continue to fund that kind of program. I mean, and as you said, other uh, tourism bureaus around the country are, are envious of what we have here in Michigan in terms of that campaign and its ability to bring people in. 100% true. I, you know, there's been a real focus lately, and justifiably so, on talent recruitment as a way to grow mm-hmm. uh, this state into the future. And, and we agree with that. I just don't think investment and support of, of that side of the equation is mutually exclusive with this industry, with travel and tourism, because really it all starts with a visit. And from there, the vision for maybe a future business, maybe moving to Michigan because you saw some of its amazing beaches all of that starts with a visit, and so I think we need to work together to make sure we're all helping uh, rise this industry up because I think that's a key pathway for the state overall to find a better future. Absolutely. Justin Winslow, we're so glad you spent a few minutes here to talk with us today about this new alliance. Uh, Justin, of course, the president and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Thank you, Justin. We appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Marie. Be caller nine at one eight hundred eight five nine zero WJR, and that's zero nine five seven to win a pair of tickets to experience Aretha's Gold. Be there as Classic Albums Live and its roster of A list musicians bring Aretha Franklin's greatest hits to the Coliseum stage 
at Caesars Windsor. It's Sunday, February 25th. For a bonus chance to win, text keyword Aretha to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WJR.com. Tickets available for purchase at Ticketmaster.com. Welcome in, Chris Renwick. You look raring to go. Raring to go? I just bought some tickets the other day to an event. Oh, did you? Yeah, we are going to see... (laughs) I don't even know. For the fifth time, fourth time, something like that. Monster Jam down at Ford Field. Really? In a couple I, weeks. I, you don't strike me as a Monster Jam person? Uh, I don't know. I uh, certainly am not. My five-year-old very much is. Oh, I so. can only imagine that he is. That would be beyond beyond the beyond for best. him. I mean, yeah. we've... <laughs> We've, My husband uh, took our boys when they were really little. Look, it's great. I mean, it's fun. They do a nice job for the kids, and and it's it's fun. Um, but yeah, it's it's become uh, uh, it's died down a little bit in the house. But but we we've taken trips to like different places. We went to Dayton, Ohio, to see a oh, thing, and yeah. you know, so whatever. We do fun stuff. So. Fun times. I bought tickets just the other day here from the Fisher Theater uh, for Leanne Morgan, the comedian. Do you know who that is? I don't. She's uh, she's a woman. Of a certain age. Okay. Who is absolutely hilarious talking about just uh, women of a certain age okay. who uh, just commenting on family life, life in general. She's just hilarious. If you haven't cool. uh, seen Leanne Morgan, uh, she's got a Netflix special, I think. Okay. Um, that's where I first saw her and I thought, where has this woman been my whole... Her previous tour, I can't remember what this one's called, but her previous tour was called the Big Panty Tour. Mm-hmm. Great name, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, great name. Absolutely. So what do you got on tap today? Well, uh, I mean, a lot. We're, so obviously the show yesterday was thrown into a, a bit of mayhem with the announcement that Jennifer Crumbly was was found guilty on all four charges of involuntary manslaughter. Donald Trump got some bad news about presidential immunity. Um, so we're going to talk to Barb McQuaid about that coming up because uh, – Certainly Jack Smith's investigation and the Jack Smith team uh, had thought all along that there wasn't presidential immunity. Mm-hmm. But Donald Trump had the right to ask the, the Court of Appeals. So a smaller Court of Appeals ruled on it and said that he does not have presidential immunity. In fact, he can be uh, tried on these charges. Um, but it's going to go up to an appeals uh, of the bigger appeals yep. court. So the full appeals court will look at it and it'll go up even further, most likely to the Supreme Court if it doesn't. If it doesn't jive with what the the former president is looking for, so um, it it throw it threw that March fourth date into question. That was canceled. Um, but Jack Smith wants to try this trial before November. Oh, absolutely! And so uh, it it throws that into the equation. So we'll talk to Barb McQueen coming up about that in a couple of minutes. Also, um, an interesting uh, question about Donald Trump and Joe Biden, where almost seventy five percent of people say they are not going to vote for somebody over 80 years old. Um, Roughly 60% of people say that they wouldn't vote for somebody based on their their legal issues that they're facing, right? Mm -hmm. So two guys that fit in those Mm -hmm. bills. Mm -hmm. What is the more important or or, or what is the least appealing characteristic? Is it the age and the obvious cognitive decline? It's just obvious. In Joe Biden and Donald Trump, who's facing 92 charges, right? So yeah. what, what is, what's the... The balance. Well, you know what? One? I'm going to tell you what's going to help decide that is who's got the better PR campaign in the coming months. Who's going to put the messaging out there 
the best. Who's going to mm-hmm. put the best messaging out there? I think Joe Biden's got real problems because he's lacking uh, support among young people. I mean, that's again, the uh, polls are showing us that mm-hmm. he's uh, showing uh, lagging support among African-Americans. They were a huge um, block for him in the last election. Hispanics. So, yes. Yeah, so this is these are all it now. And, and Donald Trump has got problems with women. Mm-hmm. More than just his legal problems, mm-hmm. he's got problems with women voters. Mm-hmm. So um, it just depends who can get that messaging out the best, I think. I think if it comes down to PR, Donald Trump might have a leg up. Uh, Donald Trump's PR is, I mean, a former president who has a mugshot taken, who puts it on shirts and sells it. I mean, yeah. that's, inc- I mean, that's, well, you, you, you wear that. You kind of knew that that no, was of course. coming. I mean, of there, course. But there, my there point is, if you're able to said, wear that badge, that's yeah, impressive. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of us who said... Oh, he's going to so yeah, cap- sure. capitalize on, yeah. on what, what's happening with that. By the way, if you have Bar McQuaid on, you need to ask her about her new book, Attack from Within. I know. I talked to her about it. I'm excited. Uh, uh, we're going to try to get her in studio to do a, oh, a, yeah, a little bit great. of a lengthier. I mean, look, she's, I mean, in terms of law and and a, her. A great um, legal mind. And, and her expertise. I mean, yeah. it's it's really important um, that we, we, we'll talk to her uh, coming up about it. But um, also, Mike Johnson uh, and the Republicans yesterday. To me, I don't know how you spend all this time doing all of this work to impeach a cabinet member, and then when you get to the votes, you just fall flat on your face. To me, the Republicans in the House of Representatives are out of their minds. They're out of their minds. Now, Mike Johnson did have something interesting to say just a few minutes ago about why they brought it when they did the circumstances and and the the people who they thought were in the building turns out there was one extra democratic member that that they didn't think was going to be there that was there so we'll 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 talk about that too coming up well and a lot of people are wondering okay you've spent all this time trying to impeach this person could you have spent that time working on the issue at the heart of all of this and that that is our border problem could we not have spent more time, more, qual- as they say, quality time yeah. on that, right? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think the Republicans view it as, well, f- first of all, don't kid yourself. It's a political issue. All right. Oh, 100%. And, and, but so, and both sides are trying to use it to Yeah, which to is their, nonsense. And, and we'll talk about that coming up, too. But in terms of what they have, what they have up their sleeves, what they have planned, yeah, of course, there, there could be bipartisan work done. But nobody's doing bipartisan work. Nobody. Across the board. And, 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 and that's the fault of the people that we elect in those positions. Yeah, some would argue no work is getting done. We just got a text. I mentioned Leanne Morgan. Yeah. Uh, that her previous tour was the Big Panty Tour. We got a text from somebody. I don't know from who. It might be, might be one of our staff members' spouses. But her tour now is called Just Getting Started. Look her up. Seriously. Okay. It's a great show to watch her. And uh, you'll get a few yucks out cool. of that. Sounds good. Chris, have a great show. And thank, thank you. you for being here with us this afternoon for Focus. Stay with us here as Chris Renwick's up next on WJR.